0: Welcome Ecom Logistics Nation. Thank you for joining today's episode. We're on a mission to share e-commerce logistics insights, trends, successes, and challenges from the leaders and innovators in our space.
1: I'm not ever gonna wedge these people into building a product roadmap that they can never sell again, right? Like you want them to be incredibly successful because you want them to be able to commercialize it and be able to sell it in the market. So they're a very stable company for
0: you. Welcome to this episode of the Ecom Logistics Podcast and the launch of our special series, Women in Supply Chain, Retail and E-commerce, running throughout the month of March. Couldn't be more excited to kick off this special series than with today's guest, Stephanie Cannon. SVP Operations Excellence and Collaborative Innovation at Pitney Bowes. Stephanie has a degree from the University of Toledo in Industrial Engineering and began her logistics career in 2005 with UPS, where she spent eight years. From there, she spent three years at West Monroe Partners before becoming the Senior Manager of Fulfillment Engineering at Nugistics. About a year and a half later, Nugistics is acquired by Pitney Bowes, and over the past five years, she's held positions in operations, automation, system innovation, continuous improvement, and in August of 2021, certainly a challenging time for all of us, took on her current role as SVP at Pitney Bowes. Stephanie, that is beyond an impressive background. Can't wait to jump in today's conversation. Thank you for joining us today, and welcome to the show.
1: Awesome. I am excited to be here.
2: I have to say we have uh, we have supply chain royalty right. today so yeah with with all those roles and I'm I'm really looking
0: forward to digging into uh yeah you know, what all pretty of that journey. means, because
2: your title's pretty heavy duty. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and, and I, you know, Stephanie, to, to set the stage, I uh, would love to hear from you, um, you know, your professional journey and story. You know, we often ask this question, did you have a passion for supply chain and logistics? Did you know that's where you wanted to, to spend your career? Or did logistics find you as is as is uh, the, the case for many of us?
1: Yeah. So I think it's interesting to say, you know, when I left college, I know I wanted to do something in math and science, right? It it was one of my strong suits. And ultimately I really wanted to be a doctor. I chose University of Toledo because they have the medical college of Ohio there. So I thought pre-med, I'm going to spend 12 years in school. I'm going to become this amazing doctor. And then reality hits, right? You go to college and when you get to college, college is fun. You meet a lot of interesting people, and um, what I really realized was, is I didn't want to spend the next twelve years in school. At least at that time, yeah. like not all in the same time frame. So, right. really, I went to the dean and I was like, you know, what else can I do? And he's like, well, you're really good in math and science. How about be an engineer? And I said, I think that sounds great. Sign me up. Um, and so that really actually started the journey of my, uh, my journey into industrial engineering. While at University of Toledo, one of the requirements in order to graduate was to, to co-op. And so as we were out looking for co-ops, I was able to interview with UPS, and so I started my journey co-oping with UPS. I did multiple rounds. Throughout that journey, there was something really actually special about going through that UPS process, very disciplined company. They rotate you around very different aspects of all the different parts of the company. And so you really got a chance to be able to learn a lot about the logistics business and the transportation business. So after college, offered a full-time job there. Um I went into their management trainee program which um which is really for emerging leaders, is the way that they sold emerging leaders coming out of college. And they rotated you around everywhere from hub uh, to their last mile, you know, the brown trucks that are delivering the packages clear through the feeder, uh, what they call feeder, we call long haul, long mile. And I got to do a lot of a lot of crazy things in there, you know, everything from time studies, uh, during peak season, uh, being able to be in the operations a lot and, and, and really got sort of a wide aspect of really the end-to-end, you know, e-commerce business. And what I thought was really great about it was there's a lot of complexities, right, within that industry. And so I continued to stay there. And ultimately, I got this opportunity to go to West Monroe Partners, which was actually a little bit different because you're, you're going from actually being within the operation uh, and moving into sort of the services side of logistics. And I entered their workforce optimization group, the experience that I got there was was really different. I had all of this sort of what you would call industrial engineering operations experience, you know, really getting to know the inner workings of a business. And I sort of went over to what you would consider almost like the customer side, right? Being able to go out, you you know, you're managing projects, you're working with customers every day, you're delivering on those projects, you're becoming subject matter experts, and you're delivering, you know, real solutions to those that really help drive their business outcomes which gave me sort of what I would consider a really well-rounded type of experience. And after doing that for really about three years, uh, you know, life happens. You get married, you have kids. Traveling and being on the road every single day of the week isn't really conducive to that. So um, I got this opportunity from Nugistics to come on, lead their industrial engineering group. uh, Very rapidly after being in their industrial engineering group, they asked me to take over Director of Fulfillment Operations, as well as Keep the Engineering Group. Slightly after that, acquired acquired by uh, Pitney Bowes. And with that, you know, sort of that journey from what you just talked about really took off from there. After the purchase and the acquisition of Nugistics, that's really where Pitney, they built that company off of back in 2012, if you think about it. It was a mailing meter company, um, really a transformation into what I would call a shipping company, uh, a really end-to-end digital and physical e-commerce company. And 2012, before all these acquisitions, they were one client, no physical operations, and like one client. Uh, After the acquisition, also multiple other acquisitions, um, there was really this need to take all of this digital and physical assets now that they had and build out a true you know global e-commerce company and and covid sort of accelerated that right when a lot when the e-commerce industry was booming but covid really accelerated that so accelerated our roadmap to be able to build out that physical and digital network and that's sort of where i landed in that strategic role of you know owning all of the different pillars that i own now
0: that is awesome (laughs) thank you for sharing that and uh I'm glad the supply chain world got you and not the medical world. So congratulations on that awesome journey. And that really goes to show or, or you know, connects the dots as to, you know, you have a really interesting role and, and leadership role at Pitney Bowes. And we talked about this uh, on our prep call where you have a lot of different functions that roll up to you. So you have, you know, automation and systems innovation, the IE group, ops excellence and workforce optimization, which is, you know, now hearing your your story and your background, you could see where, you know, you've had exposure to all those throughout your career and it really does naturally make sense. But, you know, most organization, those would be four different leaders or four different mm-hmm. pillars within an organization. So maybe can you share what you see is you know the advantage for having those all roll up i mean I, from from my perspective it, it makes a lot of sense because there's synergy everything is is you know tied together but would love your your thoughts on that yeah, yeah.
2: And, and if i may add to that question a little bit as well right like just just want to add to that question cuz innovation specifically right that that's the part that you know i see your journey which kind of speaks to you, you did engineering up until you got that director of operations, fulfillment operations, right? Like that's kind of like that first move to say, okay, now you are leading operations. While Because separate groups usually, now you are kind of combined from that function. You have the engineering background, you're doing fulfillment. But when you come to your role, specifically, I have to say, most companies I see, innovation is this thing in the corner. Everyone wants to call it R&D innovation, something that's happening in the side. But to be able to mix that with operational ex- excellence, as an example, and industrial engineering, I see the power of it, but how do you get there, right? Like, And, and how difficult is it to actually balance both so sides of it's it? it's
1: actually not really difficult at all, because I believe that naturally, as I was building the organization out, uh, if you think about the journey, I mean, when I first came into this strategy role, I had the Automation and Systems Innovation Group, which was really building just that automated platform and the physical buildings. But Ultimately, building out that journey, uh, there's so many other components that happen to that journey. And so we really needed to develop like what I considered is combining all of those four pillars that we just talked about, because we really needed to ensure that we were building a reliable, consistent and predictable operating platform that was going to drive scalability and profitability for the long term. Right. For our customers. And if you, if you have one and not the other, and, and you're trying to build out this operating platform, ultimately, they all sort of fit together. You build automation, but if you don't have all of the operations excellence around that automation, how, how effective is that automation, right? If you don't have the right workforce strategies built around your operations that are operating all of these platforms... How successful are you if you don't have the right full-time versus contingent strategies? If you don't have the right technologies that allow you to understand how do you labor plan? Where does somebody belong in in that journey inside that warehouse? The other components, too, is industrial engineering and continuous improvement. Those are sort of easy, right? If you think about those, they're in there constantly improving those systems or those processes around the systems, correct? And- While I'll tell you the collaborative innovation, which I know we're going to talk about in a little bit, so this innovation part of it was actually incredibly important to the overall automated platform, the automated strategy. If you think about how you build out your automation, there's only so much capital, right? But you have to get to a specific unit economics. You have to get to the right capacity the right speed. In order to do that, you know, you have traditional automation that's high speed. It takes a lot of volume to pay that automation back well, how do you supplement all of those other tasks that you need to automate in a very different and unique way, right? And that's sort of how I birthed collaborative innovation was really thinking about what are other ways that we can do to supplement and actually bring this full automated strategy together? And that's where I started to to think like, these, these are not separate things. If you don't have them all together and you're not all aligned on them, it really creates sort of what I would call a, A world of confusion. (laughs) Um and so my opinion is is if you can bring those worlds together, you bring synergies that will drive really that long term profitability and scale that you need for your business.
2: That is super interesting. And like is this something that, you know, this role existed or did you like get to craft that role to say, Okay, this is what makes sense, guys, right? Like I I wanna hear about that story. Like How did it all come together to be able to view the world in that perspective? So
1: it comes from different parts of my career, actually, is how I I viewed that. I actually had spent time in all these different roles and different like between UPS or Westerner, like spent so much different time in all these different roles. And uh, after the acquisition of NuGistics, actually, uh, when we started the strategy organization, and I was tasked with, you know, the automation and systems innovation group, like, hey, I need you to build out all this automation. I really took a stance on the strategy is not the automation alone. The strategy is the operating platform. And that operating platform is all of these different groups together that bring those synergies together. So it didn't happen overnight, right? Like we started the automation group and then we slowly added these other practices into the organization of mine. And we built those out from scratch. Two and a half years ago, there was maybe getting into three years now I could be a little off of my time it's been a long journey the the automation system group was one person me I added a few other people that uh that had worked in my industrial engineering group before and then now you know we have a hundred plus employees within you know all these different pillars that has created that end-to-end operating platform and and strategy that drives drives all of the outcomes that we need but Two and a half years ago, this didn't exist, so it was built organically. But all of the the areas that I built were not areas that I had not spent time in in over my career. But as you said, in separate pillars and very different organizations.
2: Exactly, and and you know, just just in that same line of questioning, right? Like, if we were to dig into the automation innovation side of the business, I get to do a lot of like market research around what automation, emerging automation happens to be, from conveyance to, you know, auto-loaders, auto-sorters, auto-baggers to, you know, ASRS, GTPs, et cetera, right? If you just look at the market map, there's literally 2000 companies out there. And it almost feels like every day I hear like at least two new companies that are popping up, right? A lot that are very Silicon Valley type startup, right? Like here's my API, work with it. I got this cool robot. And then you have the traditional large Mm -hmm. footprint coming out with new machinery, right? There is a lot to sort through at least i can tell you i get overwhelmed looking at it what's your philosophy cuz innovation you have to sort through and try and like have a methodology around which you and you mentioned the collaborative innovation program like how do you approach new innovation what automation of course you have the ie the time studies that's telling you you know where the continuous improvement needs to happen but how do you sort through the amount of I don't want to call it noise because it's not noise. It, it's crowded, right? Like it's, and maybe that's what makes it noisy, but it's crowded. How do you kind of get through that?
1: Let's start with the collaborative innovation program a little bit. Talk about that. It's it's where we're out looking at emerging technologies that can drive a business outcome that we particularly need. And so i have guiding principles on how I look at this, right? It's how much data can we get out of these technologies um, we look at how are we going to solve quality issues within our warehouses? How do we look at monotonous, undesirable jobs? Because we want to tackle those, right? Flexibility is key. So as we all know, if you just think about the past few years, like the e-commerce world is ever changing, right? So flexibility has actually become one of the most important things because you don't want to buy just this traditional automation that's maybe isn't be able to use in two years, right, because uh, your profiles have changed. Um, and we also think about innovation in ways that will give us um, competitive advantages in the market, right, and differentiate us. And I do it a little a little bit different. It may not sound exactly how everybody else does it. But when I'm looking at companies and looking out at technology, it's all about relationships and trust and building a partnership to me, right? So just knowing people in the industry, you know, I get a lot of recommendations like, hey, this is a new startup. You know, they have some really cool tech. I actually go out and I try to meet these individuals. I try to dive a little bit into their technology because I, I really actually like companies that don't have a solution yet. That I can sort of help guide that product product roadmap that's gonna help benefit us. It doesn't mean that I don't go after somebody who has something that they, you know, they've started to create, but I really take a look at their technology. Believe it or not, I actually take a look at them and who they are and the partnerships and how much I think they're willing to actually be partners with me and build out a solution together. There's nothing to be there's nothing more to be said about somebody who is willing to spend the day in and the daytime to actually develop something that you need together, build those product roadmaps together, spend the time to have that communication that's needed to go back and forth and rapidly change the prototypes and the designs in order to continue to optimize it very quickly. Because what I see sometimes what happens with an RFP, you send an RFP out, you got, a, you, got a, you know a task that you're trying to fix. You send an RFP, To three people, you get three solutions back and none of them work. You've wasted six months, maybe two, maybe three. If you can actually just go find a partner that you really like, that are great partners that want to work with you, and you say, hey, this is what I need you to solve. This is a real world problem I need you to solve for me. Let's, Let's sit down and get on the drawing board and let's solve this problem together. What that does is it creates really rapid prototypes to come to you. It creates then all of the metrics and the things that you're looking for to be on the forefront right there. Like there's nothing to be hidden about what you're looking. You share all the data with them. So there's nothing to be hidden either. You share all the data and basically it's an open, it's an open relationship. It says, hey, listen, we're gonna share everything and we're gonna tell each other everything and we're gonna work together to build this. And then from there, that allows you to get a prototype done quickly. It allows you to get a pilot in your warehouse at a very rapid pace. And then when they get in your warehouse, what's really, really important is is I'm not building a solution for me. I'm building a solution for my warehouse, for my operators and my hourly employees working there that are using those systems day in and day out. So it's critical to get them involved in those technologies and those solutions right away where they're giving feedback to our vendor immediately. That feedback's coming from our managers and it's coming from our industrial engineers. It's coming from me. It's coming from everybody and we're rapidly giving that feedback to them and they rapidly make changes quickly and we improve those prototypes. And what that's allowed us to do is instead of doing pilots for six to 18 months, we can shrink these pilots to three months because we're knocking out all of the things that we tick and tick and tick over and over and over. And uh, and what's crazy about it is, is nope, we don't even talk about money or cost at all. Like that's not even a factor in it. Because ultimately, when you find the right solution and you work and build those product roadmaps together, that's actually sort of comes after the fact, you then what you do is you now have a solution. It works for you. It works for them. The other thing too, that I'm really big about too, is, is I'm not ever going to wedge these people into building a product roadmap that they can never sell again, right? Like you want them to be incredibly successful because you want them to be able to commercialize it and be able to sell it in the market. So they're a very stable company for you moving forward. Um, So I spent a lot of time working like, how do you commercialize this too and everything? And And how are you going to drive long term revenue off of it? Because it's important. And then we're able to very quickly scale those solutions. So you'll see like Ambi Robotics and Plus One. They're great examples. From the time we met them to the time we had prototypes to the time we were doing full scale rollouts, like Ambi Robotics, I scaled out over 60 plus robots last year. I met them the year before that. I didn't pilot for a year and a half and talk about it forever. And And reiterate, their solutions are in our warehouse and they're performing at a higher rate and a higher expectation than we actually signed the SOW for. And the reason being is because even after we signed the SOW, we were constantly just the communication, the feedback, the hourlies being involved in that from the get-go are absolutely critical. Same with Plus One rolled it out they're performing well in advance from an induction perspective than we would have ever expected so i think that's actually critical it's its communication and its partnership
2: so many yeah. questions actually so i'm trying to like gather my thoughts now do you then look at a problem first to say hey here's an opportunity a continuous improvement opportunity in my pick process my pack process my unit sortation and then go out seeking a problem or from an innovation perspective do you also say Hey, let's see what's cool out in the market because I see a lot of that happening. Like, what's five years from now? How can I apply blockchain in my yeah. systems? Right? Like, are we going down that path, or like, let's have a real problem, a defined mm-hmm. problem, and then find who can solve? Doesn't matter what stage of that company happens to be. Early stage is better by the yeah. sounds of it, right? That you you are wanting to work with early stage uh, companies.
1: It's evolved. Let me put that straight. It's evolved since we started. When we first started, I was very targeted. I have these tasks that are a large percentage of labor cost in my warehouse, and I need to solve them. A, not only do I need to solve from a unit economic perspective, I also need to create a better job for our hourlies, right? Those were monotonous jobs. They weren't great jobs. And so that was sort of now, as we've evolved, there's a few different ways that I think about it. Like we've been looking at blockchain and stuff we start to look at these other technologies that how can those supplement some of the other technologies we're already using? Blockchain, for instance, you know, if we look at ambi robotics, we have SLAs, how can we monitor those SLAs and get instant feedback and be able to really track how are we doing on those um, in a more streamlined way? The other way that I think about it too is, you know, I started to look at autonomous vehicles, right? We just signed a deal with Gatic, autonomous vehicles, middle mile, they have a great solution that's that's really um, a smaller use and when I say it's it's a large use case, but they've created a use case that could actually be super scalable because it's not going over federal lines, stays within the state, means yep. they can roll and scale that a lot quicker, a lot more autonomy to be able to get things done. So we've sort of evolved saying, okay, warehouse was one of our biggest things that we needed to solve for. As we started to solve for a lot of those things through the collaborative innovation program, we've now said, OK, one of our largest costs within our entire company is our transportation costs. How can we start to innovate around that? And so we, we evolve our processes and the way that we think about who we're attacking. And when I say attacking, who we're looking at from a collaborative innovation perspective based upon what's driving our business needs.
2: I just started to say, I love the fact that, you know, working with the companies, because in my position, what I get to see is a lot of these companies, amazing ideas, amazing founders, but not truly refined for, you know, operational optimization. So they have a really good robotic framework or tech framework that is necessary to drive value. But then there is the, how does it work in the real world? And like, when you have, A, being Pitney, right, uh, and having... You know, the mm-hmm. volumes necessary to be able to, even a pilot is a meaningful pilot, right? And then tell these guys, hey, I'm actually gonna help you in your roadmap. Right. It's more valuable than any investment from a VC out mm-hmm. in the market or from an advisor in the market, is when you can come in and say, Hey, I'm gonna help you with the roadmap that solves a real world problem. Yep,
1: and I'm, gonna let, and I think free, and to I'm gonna let you use my warehouse for you are allowing them to let you use my warehouse
2: for It makes a lot of sense, right? Like, and it's a very simple, like, as you explain it, right? Like the the big term collaborative innovation program. But when you like talk about it, it's simple. I think everyone should be approaching it this way, right? Like it should be approached as, hey, I have the volume. Again, you do need the volume and the scale and the warehouses to be able to do this. But that's what starts making sense rather than having innovation like a fancy looking lab somewhere where a bunch of companies are working and like only one percent of them even make it to a pilot and what makes it to a pilot, it doesn't even end up going into the, the work for workflow. So yeah. I and love it. Just speaking
1: it. on that too, um it's one of my famous lines, but I'm like, we're trying to solve real world problems and not science fair projects because that's one of the things that we have continually seen. There's a lot of science fair projects out there and it's how you commercialize them. So when I when I partner with these people, it's really critical that I help them bridge how do we solve a real-world problem, but then also how to, how is it commercialized long-term?
2: Okay, talking about that opinion piece, blockchain and supply chain, and how I've gone six ways to Sundays doing mental gymnastics, trying to figure out where is the real practical, uh, you know, application. And every time an idea comes up, I'm like, I can solve that with mm-hmm. the database. Like, I can solve that. So, like, yes, that's a science fair, right? Like, until I see a real, true, like, immutable object kind of conversation... Completely agree with you. It's like solve real world problems right now. How do I get my labor force optimization?
0: And that, you know, one of the things I uh, <clears throat> I heard you say in another uh, interview, Stephanie, was once you actually pick a partner, and, and you've said it so greatly, like you know, you have a strategic partnership here. You're, you're working on this together. When things go south, when a problem happens, you don't just scrap. And start and try to find someone else. You know, I heard you say it's all about like, listen, there are going to be bumps on the road. There are going to be issues. There are going to be problems. Work together. You're a partner. It's a partnership, Mm -hmm. you know, to solve and to get to the, you know, the finish line.
1: Yeah. And when we find our partners, our goal is, is those are our partners for life, right? And those are our partners that are going to continue to service us. And we constantly think about without veering their product roadmap after we've helped create that first product roadmap without veering it we constantly are looking at is there something else that we can solve as well long term
2: that's awesome you know what uh, maybe just a small pivot on that front uh, talking about workforce optimization automation right like well, we we talk about all of this automation coming into play and there is this general mindset that says hey, how does this impact the actual workforce itself, right? So in, in, we are doing optimization. Again, there, you look at the P&Ls, you look at how the labor cost has increased, et cetera. For us to be able to stay above board, there is all of these conversations of automation, but there is also the, the point about, look at the unemployment rates. There is actually labor not available, and specifically in warehousing space, it is a huge challenge. Retention is a huge challenge. So from this change management standpoint, right, like you got a pilot that's coming into the building, people are looking at it, like, how do you approach it? How do you view it, the change management and the impact and the softening of of the impact on people within the company? So
1: robotics and automation to us are supplemental to our workforce. Um, They're not there to replace the workforce, they're there to supplement and make their jobs easier. And so that just goes back to where I talked about when I do pilots and we bring automation in, our management clear through the hourlies are involved from the day we're building that automation till the day we're designing that automation, they are involved from the get-go. And what that does is that allows them to feel like they're a part of that solution. And then it also helps them truly understand what is that solution doing for me? It's actually helping me do my job better. And what we've done too is We've created incredibly great training programs for them on how to use the technology, how to work with that technology. We've upskilled them with certifications. We now have new jobs in our warehouses that are called robot operators. And those robot operators, like I said, it's a certification. It's a new skill. It's transferable to other companies. So now it creates a development path for them in their careers and what we believe at Pitney is that is a value proposition that we offer that not a lot of other people can offer. Um, we want our our people working on our automation to feel like those are those their technologies. They own them. You'll you'll actually find and I you probably heard me talk about this before, but it's crazy they they name their robots right? They name them, they become yeah. their robots. Like I think one in MCO is called Lily. You know, it's <laughs> funny. They take selfies with them. They send them to their families. Like they're really, really engaged because automation is only as good as the people that use it. It will fail if it's not used properly. So the more that we can train, certify, bring value propositions and bring bre- better jobs to our employees, that's how automation's successful.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, as you think about this future, where it's going to be robot human interaction, as we see in the warehouses, and it's starting to evolve and the human component of it. And I I want to focus on that for a second. And innovation in that space, I feel has been a bit limited in, I've been around the block for, you know, somewhere around 17 years, and I started with implementation of labor Mm -hmm. management systems. (laughs) And it's this one thing, right? Like, as IE time studies, right? You know what it translates into? It's I'm trying to maximize the throughput of one yeah. given person, right? Like, I'll speak very honestly. It's the part of my job that I've never liked in this space. Because what I'm doing is I'm trying to figure out, while, you know, me being a consultant, I'm trying to figure out optimizing a human being's, like, per hour wage rate to get a throughput so that I can meet the criteria, right? okay, that's the the side of the industry that's needed and we have to do that. But what about the other human side of it, right? Like people come to work, you know, yes, there is the lunches and whatnot. But what about the interaction, gamification, a reward system to increase retention rate, right? Like, do you have a perspective on workforce optimization when it comes to the quality of life Mm -hmm. side for the humans that are in the workplace?
1: break this one down on a little bit. I'm going to come back to your labor management system. So I, in our workforce optimization group, we think about it very, very differently than the way it was thought about other companies. So for us, um, the way that we do labor management systems and the way that we're rolling that out is it's it's your percent utilized, right? Uh, To percent effective, you know what I mean? Percent effective to what we said the engineered labor standard was for you to do that. The way that we actually go about looking at. So when we see that somebody's not hitting their percent utilization, utilization, typically 99% of people want to do their jobs right. And they want to do it the right way. So the way that we approach it is, and when we go out and coach, so we're doing performance management coaching, which means we're doing on-job supervision, which says we're we're going through and looking at the methods, right? And we're saying, okay, maybe you're missing this method or maybe you're not. And we help retrain and re-coach. Um, the other thing that we do, too, is, is maybe there's something wrong with the process, right? And and we need to improve it. And so we work with them to take the feedback on, why can't you hit this number? Because maybe there's something wrong with the way we're doing it. And we look at ways to actually improve the process to get them to their percent effectives. Um, and the other things we do, too, is, is we're constantly using a communication factor with them um, and giving them a way to have feedback with us. So we we never use it in a negative way. It's always in a positive coaching. Here's how you do this better. What can we do to help you? What are what are problems with the jobs that are preventing you from being able to do this? And typically what we find out is, is there's actually something wrong on our end, not on their end. And we take that time to improve those jobs, what actually makes us better in in the long run. So Um, That's one of the things uh, that I'll talk about from a labor management perspective.
2: So the other is the innovation in workforce optimization, specifically to... I'm a big fan and I haven't seen this deployed as much is gamification, right? Like that reward based, you know, when, when, when you, I don't know if you got Apple or an Android, but like on your phone, you get one of those games and like, you're like, okay, I'm going to play for two minutes. And the next thing, it's the reward, the stars, the, 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 the coins that you collect, so that you want to play one more, one more. And then there is a pooling with your friends. It's a similar structure inside the warehousing environment that I believe if, People were rewarded against like doing a good job, and there is more gamification. Again, that's just one example. But where is the the carrot, right? Like, what carrot is being brought in from the innovation standpoint, Mm -hmm. and how do you see the, you know, carrot side of it rather than the stick side of it? Again, we spoke about the stick, but the carrot. We have
1: a lot of recognition programs within our warehouses, but I think from an innovation perspective. The way that we see it is is some of our best performers are the ones that we pick to do the robotic operator jobs or the ones to be able to have these specific jobs, which I feel I feel helps them feel better about what they're doing is that they're getting to roll into those jobs. So I, I would I guess that's the easiest way that I can say that is, is we're using the innovation. Believe it or not, just having the automation and innovation in those warehouses make people have a better working environment. Um, and so that alone is a reward um, that they feel for themselves, that they're not working in a, another shop where it's very manual, very whatever. Um, people like to work with innovation in companies that have innovation. And then we upskill those people. And those are those are actually the rewards as we put them into classes, we upskill them, we give them certifications, and we get them prepared to either work on those jobs or other companies that have that technology.
0: That is amazing. amazing. I think, you know, Stephanie, I heard you say in the past too, you have this program that I, you know, it sounds amazing and refreshing but Hourly to CEO, right? So yes. maybe you could talk about that program and 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 how you're again, you know, it's just another another opportunity to, you know, for you to help others advance within the uh the Pitney Bowes ecosystem.
1: Yeah, I the Hourly to CEO program's got a lot involved in it. And so I'll probably quickly, quickly touch on this. The way that we think about hourly to CEO is the one of the biggest things is, is when you come in your first day on the job, we are going through all of these different onboarding and all these different training aspects. And we're teaching you about all the different parts of the business. Um, As you've been with the company, there's you get to progress through levels, right? When you hit certain targets or be able to do certain things, it's not like you just say, at a, you know, a regular warehouse worker, like we have different levels of different warehouse workers. And then when you get to those levels, though, then we have progression timelines and, and different things that uh, that you can execute on that will then get you to that next level, like a supervisor and then a manager. Um, I actually have crazy stories um, with some of the workers that I work with. back in when I was director of operations. One of the guys came in as a temp and he ended up being our director of operations from the time he was with me until the time um, that I ended up getting to another job and he was the director of operations. And, you know, we spent a significant amount of time talking about here's the skills and giving him the training that was needed to really progress his career. And I thought that was a fantastic story back in the day. And we continue to do that with everybody. Um, and then we also find ways to, you know, just because you worked in a warehouse or your manager doesn't mean that you couldn't go into a client success role, right? So we, we try to really work yes. on development with them, client success roles, or sometimes you can get into the IE department right if you're if you're going to schooling for those different things. We have a lot of different ways that we do that. Um but development, training, spending a significant time actually just talking to our employees and understanding what they want in their lives and careers. I
0: love that. I absolutely love that. Maybe as we as we wrap up here, I'd love for you to maybe share um, any lessons learned, uh, challenges, any advice you could give to, to companies that are going down a similar path as, as we're all looking to, you know, to, to do more with less, to, you know, to uh, increase throughput and, you know, adapt to the changing, like you had said before, you know, adapt to the changing landscape in, in transportation and e-commerce because it is continuously evolving. And, you know, you obviously were, you know, you took over this new role kind of mid-pandemic. You know, we had, you know, um, we just had a peak season that was, you know, somewhat what was expected. But, you know, any insight you could provide to others that are, you know, about to, to go down this similar type journey would be would be amazing.
1: So there's the, it's the traditional automation, because you're always going to have a combination of traditional automation and some of the robotics and AI and stuff like that. So here's what I will tell you is Make sure you really have a great definition on your profiles and what you actually need accomplished within your warehouse. Because if you do not communicate what you actually need accomplished in your warehouse, and also the profiles that are going to be running through that, um, that will actually help them develop what you actually need very quick. Um, the communication with them is absolutely critical. You cannot communicate enough. If you're not talking to your partners every single day, you're missing the boats. So I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. Define the metrics that you're expecting from the get-go. Uh, make sure you have those documented. Make sure you under- they understand what those metrics are and what you're after. The other thing too is, is as you're piloting or looking at these technologies, You should already be working on your business cases and the ROIs and everything, because those are going to change rapidly as you as you look at different ways that you're going to change things. Because ultimately, if if they don't pay back, they don't work. And it also help you define, do I need to be in traditional or if this doesn't really make sense from a traditional perspective, because ROI and the business case that I'm doing early on enough. Um, it'll show me that I need to start to look at these more flexible solutions. I will also tell you to continue to look at incredibly more flexible solutions out in the market. There's nothing worse than building fifty million dollars worth of traditional automation that doesn't work in two years, right? So there's there's traditional and 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 um, robotics and flexible solutions that come together. Where you, can, where you can put the systems in as they are needed. So you only spend money as you need to, which also helps with your unit economics, helps with your scale. And if for some reason your profiles change, you can change your solution very rapidly. So get more towards flexible solutions, get communication down right, um, and get your ROIs done well in advance before you have the, before you have full solutions. So you can sort of understand where you need to make changes throughout the process so that when it is time to scale, you're
2: ready to go. Amazing insights. That's really good insight and especially for me. <laughs> I don't know what the listeners think about it, but personally, I'm taking a lot away from it, right? I'm going to go back, listen to this, make notes about it, and awesome. apply it. Uh-huh. So 100%. thank you very much,
0: Stephanie. Stephanie, this has been an uh, amazing uh, show. Thank you so much for uh, for spending time with us. Thank you for kicking off our special series, uh, Women in Supply Chain, e-commerce and Retail. So again, thank you for joining us and would love for, you know, how, how do our audience follow you? What's the best, you know, are you on social? How do they learn more about, uh, you know, the product offerings at Pitney Bowes?
1: Yeah, so you can follow me on LinkedIn. I will send out, I can send out my LinkedIn profile, uh, but Stephanie can, you can search it, Pitney Bowes. Um, And then you can also follow Pitney Bowes as well. And Pitney Bowes posts every day about all of the solutions, our design delivery solutions. We're a very consultative company here to work with you guys and build solutions together. And you'll be able to find that on there too. And and who you can contact and you can always contact me and I will get you in touch with whoever you need to be in.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Stephanie. Really appreciate it.
2: Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to maximize your supply chain. Available on all major podcasting channels. Thank you for listening and see you in the next episode.